Well, good morning. My name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor here at Courtrate. And it's my pleasure this morning to introduce our guest preacher. And his name is Peter Sherman. Uh, Pete is the executive director of Global Scholars Canada. And he lives here in Guelph with his wife and three kids. Actually, they live just around the corner across the Hanlon. And Grace is here with him today, and she'll be doing the scripture reading. Uh, Pete also teaches at Redeemer University College, and uh, he is an editor at the Christian Courier, if you're not familiar with that uh, magazine. Is it a newspaper or a magazine, Pete? Uh, it's a journalistic <laughs> medium. Uh, you, should, you should look it up. Um, uh, it's a great source of news and commentary. Um, Pete did his doctorate at the University of Waterloo, and uh, his dissertation's been published as The Subversive Evangelical, the Ironic Charisma of an Irreligious Megachurch. So Pete is like the global expert on the meeting house and Bruxy Cavey. And you know, as we reflect on who we are as the church coming out of the pandemic, we've had some great conversations about uh, the megachurch movement and, and how uh, we are going to find our way as the Holy Spirit leads us um, over the next few years. So, uh, Pete, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm going to pray for you, and I think Grace is going to do the scripture reading. So let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you that uh, your word is alive. It's not like other words. We pray that as your disciples said to you, when they asked, where else can we go, Lord? Um, that we would seek in the message today words of eternal life for us, words of encouragement, uh, words that will meet us in our circumstances. We believe that you change lives, that you are offering us hope like no one else can through your word, and we pray that you would be with Pete as, as he brings a message from Scripture today. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 13, 44 to 46, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field, when it, hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I should tell you, uh, Grace was born on October 31st. Do you know what day that is? Reformation Day, right on. So we didn't want to call her Luther. <laughs> so we called her Grace. And when I go on tour, I sometimes bring uh, one of my children, and Grace is one who has not yet uh, read the scripture. So thank you for allowing her to read this morning. <laughs> it's good to be with you this morning. And um, I trust that God will bless our time together. Christian friends, a man takes all his savings to purchase a new house and a new development. He becomes consumed in the tasks of making it into a home. 
landscaping the property, finishing the basement, and fine-tuning the trim and wainscoting. He invests himself deeply in every aspect of the house, and it becomes him. It's his identity. One day, some municipal officials come to the door with grave looks on their faces. They say they've discovered a sinkhole in the area, and his house is close to the center of it. Sinkholes, you may know, are large cavities in the ground that form when the water erodes underneath a rock layer. They're very dangerous. The officials promise him insurance will cover the cost and he will get a brand new house. And he best take immediately what he can get out of the house. But he refuses to part with his home. And a few nights later, the house perishes in a giant underground sinkhole and the man with it. Now that's my parable. I made that one up. And you could do that, you know. I, I noticed you're having Lenten living rooms. Might be something you want to try to make a Lenten parable. It's a good exercise. Because parables are these fictional stories, and Matthew 13 is full of them. They're fictional stories that tell the truth about what life is like in God's kingdom. And they tell it slant, making an analogy to the kingdom so that the Spirit might slip on through to our hearts and convict us of the need to change our lives. They're meant to disturb. They're meant to challenge us. They're meant to surprise us. In Matthew 13, as I said, we have many parables, and Jesus explains some of them to the disciples, only the disciples. He says, parables reveal something that's hidden. They're secrets that are for those who are in the know, who have ears to hear, and they give clues to the kingdom of God. And here's a secret that I'm going to share with you this morning. You and I, we are that homeowner. You and I, we have invested deeply in our lives, in our homes, but perhaps in a more deep spiritual way, in our identities, in our networks, our ideas, our beliefs, our righteousness, our religion. And while these things hint at the treasure... They are not the treasure. And while they can be pearls of our creaturely life, they are not the pearl of supreme value that we read in the parables in our texts. If given pride of place in our lives, they will become idols that we grasp onto and they become replacements for the kingdom of God. They're no longer gifts, but are God's. And they will get old as we get old. And they will rust, and the moth will come, the mold will set in. They're, they're small treasures that we need to hold with an open hand. You see, because we are the homeowner, and we resist leaving the home, we don't want to start fresh. 
even though we know it's death to stay. We are emotionally invested in what has become us, what we've invested in for so long, and it's what we've depended on to give us an identity, a community, and a sense of security. And it's precious. It's our precious, if you know what I'm saying. So, people of court write, it's Lent. And this morning I want to talk about that letting go practice. What's been called dying to the old life, the old self, the old house, the old church, and rising to new life in Christ. This is basic stuff. This is union with Christ. This is the sanctification of the, the Christian life, as Paul explained it. It's basic Christian spiritual formation. And I have four points this morning. I'm going to talk about the context of our lives in North America, the text itself, Lent and joy, and finally, renewing life. So first of all, our context which I'm calling the, the context of deconstruction. Let me take this dying practice one step further. It's not just individuals that need to let go and move on, but it's also congregations. And it's not just congregations, but it's institutions, it's denominations, and I'm going to say the Western church on this planet. It's time to take what we can to leave the house as it is poised above a sinkhole. It has failed, and it's time to start fresh again. One of the people I follow is David Brooks, and he's a Jewish Christian commentator on the New York Times list. He's received, he's recently wrote a column entitled, The Dissenters Trying to Save Evangelicalism from Itself provocative title, The Dissenters Trying to Save Evangelicalism from Itself. Evangelicalism is in crisis in North America. He says, rocked by a series of his, uh, horrific scandals that include celebrity pastor sexual misconduct, megachurch bullies, political power grabs, racial obliviousness, and the list goes on. The evangelical camp seems bankrupt and many are opting out. And they're calling this the deconstruction or the dismantling of their faith. Maybe you've heard this term. I wrote a cover article on this for Faith Today magazine, a product of the uh, Evangelical Fellowship of Canada last September. It was entitled, Deconstructing Faith, Growing Up in Christ. And this is now turned into a co-authored book with uh, New Leaf Press, which is a church planting press in Saskatchewan. And Angela Bick and I are basically arguing this. And deconstruction is not our language, but it's the going term today, so we're using it. But we're seeing that some old institutions are unraveling, and there's a credibility that has been lost, and many are becoming disillusioned with their faith. So in our book, The Best of This Movement, we are calling repentance. We're calling it restoration. We're calling it renewal. Deconstruction can be this participation in our baptism. As we die to the flesh, the world, and the devil, and rise again with Christ and his kingdom in righteousness and justice. 
Again, this is the heart of Christian formation. And yet, like the homeowner, we resist it. We hold back. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. I'm part of an evangelical ministry and its orthodox commitment to the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what I'm talking about basically this morning. I'm the executive director of a global mission organization, as Alex said, and our goal is to bring a missional imagination to academic vocation. Think of us as Christian professors without borders. I'm not going to use that line, it's probably copyright, but I can use it here. <clears throat> but the evangelical brand, I'm talking about the brand, I'm talking about the defensiveness, the, the division, the grasping for privilege and power and popularity and position. It's given the evangelicals a corrupted reputation, and it's time to take what we can and abandon the house. This is not just a U.S. problem either. You may have heard Toronto megachurch pastor Bruxy Cavey is now under suspicion. We don't know. It's just under suspicion. But I'm deeply invested in this man. And it's very close to my heart, these sort of things that are happening. And the unmarked graves in Kamloops, B.C. and beyond. Like, that's close to my vocation. Educational mission. They remind us that we have an obligation to truth as Christians and an obligation to reconciliation as Christians, especially when it's our past missions and omissions. The white supremacy, the sense of entitlement, it's not worth saving. It's time to leave. The fact is the age of European Christian ascendancy has long passed. The global south is the beating heart of Christianity in the world today. And Global Scholars Canada invited Canadian Christian students recently to uh, do an internship with us. And, you know, no white Christians applied at all. Standing at our door were Chinese Canadians, Sri Lankan Canadians, Filipino Canadian, all young women, too. Philip Jenkins, in his now aging book, The Next Christendom, says the picture in our minds of a typical Christian in the next century should be a Brazilian or Nigerian woman. That's Christianity today. That's where the life is. That's where it's exploding. That's where hope and passion seem to be beating like a fully alive and healthy heart. So that's our context this morning. And my second point is to get to the text in that context. <clears throat> All right, so the pattern of discipleship in the book of Matthew, says scholar Terence Donaldson, is about commitment and cost. We see it again and again in Matthew. Disciples have to be prepared to accept, expect hardship, chapter 8. Leave houses and family, chapter 10, chapter 19, to deny themselves, take up their cross, and even lose their lives for Christ's sake. Martyrdom. And that's repeated in 10 and 16. And set over against the cost and commitment, those true disciples are those who love family more, those who try to save their lives, and those who cling to riches and so turn away sad. 
And so with our two parables that Grace read this morning, and these are parables that it seems everybody agrees they're a pair. They come together. They're a package. I think they could be called the parables of relinquishment or maybe the parables of abandoning all. Listen to this. These stories are really startling. They're remarkable. They're extreme. They should be strange to us. And if they're not, I don't know if we've understood them fully. They're too familiar, perhaps. We have ears to hear, but we don't always get it. So listen again. A peasant farmer has his plow suddenly strike the tip of a treasure chest in the soil. He immediately sells all he has so he can buy the whole field for himself and get the treasure. The second parable is like it. A jeweler, a jeweler stumbles upon the most exquisite pearl he has ever set his eyes on. He knows that he is no fool who gives up what is of little value to gain that which is of extreme and lasting value. So he sells all he has to gain the pearl. These are simple stories, but they pack a punch when you think about it. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Giving up what's precious, your precious self, your precious identity, your precious kingdom of the self, to enter into a kingdom that is without price, without rust or moth or mold, a kingdom of love and justice and peace that will never end. And there's, there's just simply no comparison between what we have and what stands before us. And so surrender all and gain everything in return, Jesus is saying. And it happens today, and it's happened 1,700 years ago with the ancient Christian philosopher St. Augustine, who in his biography, Confessions, says this, How sweet did it suddenly seem to me to shrug off those sweet frivolities, and how glad I now was to get rid of them, I who had been loath to let them go, for it was you who cast them out from me. You are real and all-surpassing sweetness, who are lovelier than any pleasure, more lustrous than any light, and more veiled than any mysteries. This is it. This is the invisible kingdom of God. It comes in these places and moments where we know God reigns here. God reigns. This is the good news that the poor become rich, that the sick are healed, that the weak are made strong, that the captives are set free. It's this kind of fourth dimension that overlaps with the world today that's already and yet not yet. The thing that we all hunger for deep inside. The thing that we believe and, and hope will set everything right again that has been wrong. It's about faithful marriages. It's about just laws. It's about humble science. It's about honest business and healthy ecosystems. It's the new creation breaking in today. Friedrich Buechner says it this way. It's where our best dreams come from and our truest prayers. 
It's what we're all homesick for if we pause to truly listen to our hearts. The kingdom of God is confession and forgiveness. In fact, it's Christ himself, the king, who whispers this secret to us in parables. My third point is about Lent and the joy that we can have in Lent. You see, these practices of giving up in order to gain are at the heart of Lent. Lent is typically the time of spiritual spring cleaning, as they say. Out with the old and the mold, and in with the fresh practices of spiritual formation that lead to light and life in the soul and in our our households and communities. It's time to die to the old house and let the Spirit rearrange your house. Now, a little ecumenical story. My wife was asked by a friend to join her for a special Mass this week at uh, a Catholic church nearby. And it happened to be Ash Wednesday. So what happens in a Catholic church on Ash Wednesday? I'll tell you, well, she reports, the place was packed. It was packed with faithful Catholics all lining up to get ashes sprinkled on their foreheads in the sign of the cross. COVID or no COVID, they were here to get the cross. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return, says the priest, as he marks their heads with the cross. And with their bodies marked by this cross of Christ, the preach urges them. And I'm, I'm giving you what my wife said. He said, he said, don't give up chocolate for Lent. Give up gossip. He didn't hold back. He said, don't give up coffee for Lent. Give up sleeping with your friend and do the right thing. Make a covenant with each other. Give up yourself and find the cross-shaped kingdom of God. It's a little ecumenical word this morning. You know, I can't say this any stronger than I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in The Cost of Discipleship. He said, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments to this world. It is that dying of the old man or woman which is the result of their encounter with the Christ. When Christ calls a man or woman, he bids them come and die. And as you may know, die Bonhoeffer did when he attempted to assassinate Hitler. We must not resist the call. I think it's ego that stands in the way often. If you want a vivid picture of the havoc that ego can cause in this world, look at your screens with the crushed buildings coming to us from Ukraine daily. Ego seeks its own kingdom, and it will never be satisfied. It cannot capitulate the ego. Now, I don't know if you noticed this in my made-up parable at the beginning of the sermon. It was really kind of an anti-parable when compared to the text today. Where in my parable, the man resists giving up all he has. In the parables of Jesus, the men surrender all immediately, and it seems with no hesitation. One commentator calls these the parables of great joy. 
the parables of great joy. That's the normal response to discovering the kingdom of God in your life. Joy. And if you don't believe uh, Ed Schweitzer, the famous commentator, <clears throat> take this kind of assessment uh, by some famous singing nuns called the Medical Mission Sisters. 1967, they released a folk gospel album called I Know the Secret. Won a Grammy Award. Some of you are nodding. You know the Medical Mission Sisters. My parents played it. I still have it ringing in my, my ears. And especially the song... He bought the whole field. And they tell you why he bought the whole field, right? The chorus goes, he bought the whole field for joy. He bought the whole field for sheer joy. A man found a treasure. It was hidden in a field. He bought the whole field for joy. For sheer joy, they say for the life that gets renewed, for the freedom that you have from your dearest idols. Don't be like the rich young ruler who asked Jesus what he needed to do to enter the kingdom of heaven, and in response, Jesus said, sell all you have and follow me. And we're told he went away sad because he had many precious things. The medical mission sisters sing in another verse, don't keep your treasure in a room for a thief to steal or moths to consume. All our gain we count but loss. We're rich in Christ who choose the cross. These are celibate nuns. They've given up their lives to sing these kind of songs. Or think of the disciples earlier in Matthew. Jesus says, hey, follow me. Drop the nets. Whoosh. They're off to follow Jesus. They bought the whole field for joy. They bought the whole field. Finally, my last fourth point, risky renewal. Here I want to ask, what does this mean for your life? And let's, let's focus that in one question. Do you agree wherever you are in whatever situation you're in this morning, that the kingdom of God is our best dream and our truest prayer, that it is the heart's deepest longing and the soul's greatest joy? Do you truly believe that? Do you see the kingdom of God as the highest possible good for your life, for your church? Well then, what, what's in the way? What's, what's getting in between? What's in the way of the freedom and the peace and the joy that's promised? It's probably something you don't really want to give up. And that's why the resistance theme, right? And it could be obvious, could be an addiction, some vice that you have, some relational uh, problem. But it could be more subtle. It could be something that appears as a good to you. Maybe a virtue of some sort that you hold dear as yours, that gives you value. It's part of your identity. You know, some people I'm interviewing who are deconstructing their faith, they say, this is a time of reckoning. It's about leaving the crowds behind and maybe losing some dear friends and starting over, unsure of what lies ahead. 
It's a risky renewal. And on the wider institutional level, I'll quote David Brooks again. He says, quote, this experience of breaking, rethinking, and reorienting a life could be the first stage in renewal. And then he quotes a whole bunch of people. He says, a fresh expression of the missional church could be some of the things president of Fuller Theological Seminary, Mark Laberton, uh, talks about. He says, the old institutions need to give. Immigrant communities need to take the lead. Many who have lived most of their lives ready for martyrdom. Right? Maybe you know about this. There's a lot of Christians in the world whose lives are ready for martyrdom. It's a totally different perspective on discipleship. He also said there's a trend towards smaller and more intimate bands of Christians. Small groups, maybe like your Lenten living rooms. Getting away from bitterness and division and power struggles in larger organizations and focusing on lives of service in our neighborhoods to refugees and maybe church refugees, those hurt by the church. And finally, I thought I should have a quote from a Presbyterian as I'm at Courtright this morning. So Pastor Tim Keller is also part of the same article, and uh, David Brooks quotes him. He's, he's launching something called the Christian Mind Project. He wants to expand, he says, by a factor of 10, the number of committed Christians in graduate school and the professorate. A factor of 10. I think as Christians we need to reflect deeply and wisely on our past in order to welcome in a kingdom-flavored future. It's an alternative, renewed Church of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're trying to do in Global Scholars Canada. It's not, this is our little saying, which I got from other missiological contexts. It's not from the West to the rest anymore. It's not from the West to the rest. It's from anywhere to everywhere. That's missiology today. We want to buy the whole field. And I'm asking you this morning, do you want to buy the whole field? Are you willing to sell it all so that you can be part of God's kingdom? Because the parables are of the kingdom. They're trying to get you into the kingdom. They're telling it slant so that you can evaluate your life and our situation in North America in a new way. Don't be like the privileged, rich young ruler who went away sad. Don't be like the homeowner who perished in the sinkhole. It's Lent. What a great time, a great season in Christ's church to abandon what you cannot keep, to gain that which promises unimaginable joy. So let's lose what's precious to us to gain what is priceless to the planet. Embrace your baptism once again. Enter more deeply into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and see your life and the church renewed and the kingdom come among us all. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.